Hey, Life Church Livonia, what's up? It is great to be back with Tell Me More. We have been off for the holidays, and it was a great time to rest. I got to go away on vacation, which I really needed, and uh, I'm really glad to be back. I'm joined here today by Alex Rahill Sr. What? No, that can't be true, but it is. Hey, it's Life so Church true. Livonia, so good to be here with you. <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about Tell Me More about praying like Nehemiah. If you are just joining us on this podcast, we have been in this series called The Second Act. And in a two-act story structure, the second act is the place where the main character of the story wrestles with the flaws that caused failure in the first act. And as they address those things, they um, become the kind of person who can overcome and find true victory by the end of the story. And I just believe that God has a second act for this church. I believe that God has a second act for you, that this is not just a story structure. It is a metaphor for life. And Nehemiah lives this metaphor in the book of Nehemiah. And so we've been looking at that the past two weeks, week when we talked about the necessity of an interruptible life, that the catalyst of the second act, that's the turning point is this interruptible life. And that in order to live this second act, we really need to begin with prayer. And so today we're going to be talking about, tell me more about praying like Nehemiah. So Senior, if you could just give us a quick review of some of the points from your sermon Sunday. And then the first thing I want to know is, tell me more about what you wish you could have talked about more that you didn't get to in the sermon. I didn't have anything else to say. Okay, maybe I did. Yeah, Uh, maybe maybe you did. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, so Nehemiah is a great book. And as I mentioned, it's it's a great book for every one of us, because Nehemiah was not a religious professional. Um, he was he worked in the government. And, uh, and he, so he went to work every day, like most of us. Uh, and his main job was to um, do something other than study scripture, encourage people, care for people. He was uh, really an advisor to the king, um, which could be a very um, tenuous position. If you remember Joseph's life, you know, he's in prison and one of the people he's in prison with is a guy called the cupbearer and the baker. And uh, so the king may or may not love you in any given moment. And so you're all, while you're in a place of um, influence, you're also can be in a precarious place. Um, and so Nehemiah's, uh, a, it works in the government. And he hears about Jerusalem, and there's really a kind of three movements here. Uh, and he is broken um, by the, the, the fact that Israel is in great distress. It says they're in great trouble. And you can look at that in, in, in uh, the f- first chapter there. Uh, I, I verse, uh, I'm going to pull it up here. You're going to pull yeah, it up. Yeah, I'll pull it up. That's a good idea. Um, I'll pull it up. And disgrace. And, you know, the, the, again, the, the walls are a metaphor for the people. Right. So the walls are broken down because the people are broken down. Right. And their gates are burned. And so that's actually kind of like this, like, piling on. Like, imagine your home and you're like, oh, yeah, a tornado hit my house and broke it down, which is bad. But to add insult to injury, it's, on, it's been set on half of it was set on fire, too. Right, right. You're like, okay, right. you just go move somewhere else. Right. You don't, you're going to rebuild that thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
he, the people of Israel are uh, in great need of, of God, and this prompts the prayer. And what I want to just mention here is I talked about the prompting of his prayer was holy discontent. Mm. Really, it's the gap between who, what is, and what could or should be. Mm. That's holy discontent right there. Mm-hmm. Or, and that's internal as well as external. One of the things I didn't talk about as much that I, I would like to is or uh, just for a minute or so is um, the gap exists inside us and in our world. Mm-hmm. So for, for example, someone says, well, you know, uh, I prayed about, some, why would God let me fail? Like I prayed about something God let, and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And often, sometimes God has got, in fact, almost all the time, God is working in us before he's working through us. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I had a failure where I said something I, called someone a name, I got mad at them, and I felt like, oh, I failed. And it's like, God's revealing the gap in my own character here. Oh, you weren't gracious. You weren't patient. You weren't kind. You know, this problem is in you as much as it's in the world. And we often see the problem in the world. We don't see it in us. And um, and so that's the gap. And that gap, in, in the worst case scenario, causes pain. It's, you know, so the what is and right. what could be is pain. Right. So what prompts this prayer? It's the gap, this holy discontent. So where what Jerusalem could be and where it is, is there's a big gap. Or um, um, what, what um, Israel could be, the people, and what they are, big gap. And so there's pain. And, of course, Nehemiah sees this in himself. So he prays to God, which is always the right thing to do. Yeah. And he starts by... <laughs> Keep praising God or adoring yeah. God. He's remembering who God is. So the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is a beautiful prayer because um, God, they started speaking of God as God of heaven because their temple was destroyed. Mm-hmm. They real, you know, so they, this was an, 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 a, a later iteration of, of this, um, how, how they address God. God, you're the Lord of heaven and earth, and you're great. You deserve praise, and you're awesome. You're powerful. Mm-hmm. You make covenants of love, and, and that's, again, um, a covenant is, is a promise. It's, a, it's an agreement between God and man, and God's covenants or promises are all about love toward us. Mm. He's remembering who God is. This is really important because we're going to see at the beginning of the prayer, and we didn't get to this uh, on Sunday morning. Yeah. On Sunday morning. So at the beginning of the prayer, he's remembering who God is. Right. And by the end of the prayer, he's remembering who he is. Mm. And prayer forms our identity. And it's intended to form it a certain way. And so prayer is identity, really. So he's remembering who God is. And as he sees God and realizes, oh, and I'm made in his image, I'm his child he remembers who he is by the end of the prayer, which is pretty powerful because so many people are like, I don't know who I am. I don't feel like I have any worth. I feel like my life is purposeless. And I would argue, and and I hate to say this because this is true for me too, but your sense of identity and purpose, I think is directly correlated to your prayer life. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people who feel like a lack of identity or purpose are people who are not praying. They may be worrying, but they're not praying. So he prays, he praises God for who he is. Uh, and then he confesses 
uh, verse 6, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. And um, we're a confessional people. Jesus died for our fill in the sins. Blank. Sins. And um, again, if we're not confessing regularly, it's a sign that we're out of touch with reality in right. our own soul. Right, right. He's confessing his sins to God, knowing God is will forgive as he confesses. So we admit, we bring it to the Lord, and he forgives us. Uh, I mentioned 1 John 1, 9 in the sermon, and that's a really important verse, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us yeah. from all unrighteousness. It's like a soul bath. And, you know, if we need we need that. We need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. We need to start fresh. Yeah. And then he reminds God of his promises through his word in uh, verse eight. So he says, remember the instruction you gave. So he's reminding God and he's reminding himself of what God has said. If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you. But if you return to me, which is the word repent, that yeah. to turn back to God, um, uh, even if you're at the farthest corners of the earth, I'll bring you home. And Lord, you promised mm. us. So he's reciting the promises of God here. Yeah. Um, and then he asks for what he wants. He says, so I'm going to go to the king and I'm asking you to give me success, not for myself, but, um, but for your people that, right. that, yeah, Israel might be restored, that it might be rebuilt, that the second act would actually happen, mm. that Israel would have a new start and be the light of the world. Cause again, that was part of God's intent with Israel. We always forget this that um, Genesis 12, 3, I have blessed you in order to be a blessing to the world. And that was God's intent. So God's people, Israel, weren't supposed to be this own, their own little club where it's like, oh, aren't they the most special people? They were blessed by God. They were given God's word. They were to incarnate God's lifestyle and then uh, share that love and truth with the world. Yeah, and they weren't doing that, and so right. he wouldn't see God's dream for the world come true. And um, yeah, so that's how he prays, and it, it models a prayer that we often use. But I didn't want to confuse people on Sunday. But w this follows a very um, a prayer that Christians have used for centuries um, in terms of how to keep their prayer life balanced so that they're uh, healthy as they talk to God. Yeah. Yeah. So first, tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned, you know, prayer as the source of our own sense of identity. Tell me a little bit more about that. Delve into that a little deeper. Okay. So if you look at the beginning, you see again, let's, so let's look at verse one. Okay. So uh, not verse one, sorry. Verse uh, uh, five. Maybe so, five. Yeah. Yeah. So Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. So he's starting this prayer. Um, and actually, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this actually mimics in some ways the Lord's prayer. And I'm going to come back to that. So when Jesus says, this is how you pray, this follows that same pattern. So it's remembering who God is. So our father who art in heaven, right. Hallowed be your name. Right. Always remembering, adoring God, remembering who he is. It ends with, Nehemiah remembering who he is. So it goes from the father, who the father is, to who we are. It goes from the father's identity 
And as children of God, we remember who we are. And when Nehemiah remembers he's a child of God, he begins acting like a son of God. Mm. And that's pretty deep. So he's, and, and uh, so he's going, so look at what it says here. So he's prayed that prayer. And then it says, look at verse 10. They are, what does it say? Your servants, your servants and your, and your people. people whom you, you redeemed. redeemed by your great strength. Look at all that. This is, again, right. Lord, let, now look at what he says in verse 11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your, your servant. servant. He's saying, this is who I am. Now, I've gone from just praying to you to, to taking on uh, the solidarity with the people of Israel. I have reclaimed my identity. Mm -hmm. You said you will be our God and we will be your people. And this is the peoplehood formula it's, uh, throughout the Old Testament. You see this yeah. in the New, but he says, okay, oh, that's right. And I'm your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who you delight in revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So he goes from remembering who God is to remembering who he is. He is a servant of God. He's part of the people of God. He is... Uh, in the general sense, again, a child of God, and he begins acting like a son of God. Mm -hmm. And he begins acting like a son of God in this way, because he is a person of privilege and power and resources. You don't right. get to be the advisor to the king and dress like a bum. Mm -hmm. He's not a homeless guy. He gets paid. He's successful right. in culture. And he's being willing to sacrifice himself and his position in order to go do something good for the benefit of the people of Israel. He's yeah. willing to sacrifice and give up. And even by making this request to the king, you know, the king can be uh, flippant. He right. can do whatever he wants. Right. So he can go to jail. Yeah. In fact, people will talk about whether Esther was present or not in this. So, because oh. again, Esther is, is um, contemporary in some form. So whether this, she was the queen or, she was somewhere in the lineage here at this point. Right, right. Which is one of the reasons why it's interesting, because some people will say in Nehemiah 2, the beginning, that the queen was present. Yeah. Uh, and that's not usually a noted thing necessarily, because whoever's in, you know, whatever. But right. uh, um, so you look at Abraham. Abraham left his family in order to go with God and do the thing God called him to do. You look at Moses, and Moses forsook all the, the riches of Pharaoh in order to go and serve and, and uh, sacrifice for his people. You look at Esther, who is the queen and has every possible privilege, but she's willing to go because to request an audience with the king, if you turned it down, he could kill you. Right. So that's, that's his, you know, the way. So she's right. putting her life on the line and identifying herself as a Jew in order to do good for her people. And now Nehemiah says, send me. So if you go to chapter two real quick we're not going to steal the thunder there but um it just it's uh versus uh, uh then i prayed to the god of heaven so king said what is it you want right then i prayed to the god of heaven and i answered the king if pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight let him send me to the ruined city so i can rebuild it basically he's, mm -hmm. he's um 
And then verse six is then the king with the queen sitting beside him. How long will this take you? So, right, right, right. Um, so you see, again, this identification with the mission of God and the people of Israel leads to him volunteering. Mm-hmm. So that sense of serving and, and not just talking about God, but going with God uh, and joining him in his work in the world mm-hmm. is the natural outflow of our prayer and us again seeing God for who he is understanding our identity and in our identity is that sense of mission and that's really essential that we see that if we don't feel like we're on mission it could be again because we have this dislocation um, or fuzziness around our identity and I would argue prayer is identity prayer forms identity and I think part of why that's so important is there's this modern misconception the identity is a self-generated reality that then I ask my community to adopt if they really care about me. And the truth of it is identity is not a self-generated thing. It is only born from the context with another. And so like, you know, let's take a simple example. If I said that's cold, right? Outside of a context, outside of a situation, outside of a sentence, that has no meaning. Do I mean that's cold in a good way? Do I mean that's cold in a bad way? Do I mean that's cold as temperature? Do I mean that's cold as, uh, am I describing like an attitude? You know, what does that even mean? It has no meaning outside of its community of context, right? So if I'm in Antarctica, and I'm testing uh, something to do with, you know, let's say like climate change, and I say that's cold, you know, that's probably a good thing, right? If I'm in uh, a conversation with somebody uh, who's tell- recounting to me a-, a breakup conversation they had with their girlfriend, and I say, ooh, that's cold, that's a bad thing, right? So identity doesn't exist outside of a community. It's not something that I come up with and then tell you to accept about me. It's something that as a community, my place in the community is formed and our identity as human beings is given to us in the community of relationship with God and in the community by the community of the Trinity. And that's why when we pray, it reminds us of that identity and confirms that identity because it's not this, we re-enter into our original community that gave us our first context and gave us our most base identity. And so, um, you know, I I say that just simply for our listeners to say, when we're talking about prayer uh, as a means of identity, we're not saying that in just some kind of like metaphysical, spiritual mumbo jumbo way. It's very much the way the human psychology is formed. And there is no identity. And we know this in a basic sense, like I said, with a phrase with no sentence uh, or no situation attached to it. We can see it in the world around us. Um, And it's only in the context of that community that that identity is actually imparted, not by the thing itself, but by the context it's in and the community that it has. Um, And so part of why we, you know, have such an emphasis on community and church and such an emphasis on serving and volunteering is because that is the community forms who we are. We don't just come up with it in our own self and then tell everybody else, now you better accept who I am or you don't actually, you're not my community. It's a backwards way of discerning identity. And I just see this among so many teens who are looking for some kind of like fully formed identity hidden somewhere inside of the caverns of their own soul, 
hoping, oh, there it is. It's fully formed. I found it. It's been revealed to me like a revelation. And now I just tell everybody what it is I found rather than our community is something that is um, built. I'm sorry, our identity is something that is built in the context of this community. And Nehemiah in prayer is reconnecting with the original identity, both of his nationality as part of the people of God and part of as just a human being who um, in relationship to the Trinity uh, was given the identity as human in the first place. Uh, given the identity as creature in relationship to a creator. So I just say all that to say, <clears throat> just to affirm um, prayer is where we remember who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really only two kinds of identities and that's really important. And we get them mixed up in our world. You know, you can have a self-achieved identity where you're trying to make yourself into something. So, Let's mm-hmm. say you're a successful business person. So you, when, when, whenever you achieve an identity or you try to build your identity around some achievement, you that self-achieved identity has to be self-sustained. Mm-hmm. So the second you stop making money, you're not, your identity is gone. Or mm-hmm. the second you don't have that spouse, your identity has gone or your, your, your kids or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and that's not God's goal for us. God's goal is that you and I, uh, we receive our identity from our creator. Mm-hmm. So, in, 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 and this is a family-based identity, which has actually been the identity most people have experienced throughout all of civilization. And so, you know, in some, so to speak, your father and mother help define who you are. And that's ultimately, and, and again, you can say, well, that's broken or this, we can look at all the broken aspects of it, but that's the, the aspect is that's not the point. The point is what's the right understanding. And with mm-hmm. God as our father, we're part of the new family of Jesus. And he is saying, he, he helps us understand who we are and what we're our purposes. We're made in his image mm-hmm. made for his glory. Uh, and he has purposes and plans for us because he knows how he formed us. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, so tell, tell me a little bit more. We talked about this. We, we alluded to it. There's a model of prayer I talked about in Take Two Tuesday called ACTS, A-C-T-S. And uh, you were just mentioning how Nehemiah's prayer outlines that. Um, and I just think that's such a tangible, uh, clear model for prayer. And so I would love it if you could just tell, run through that acronym for us and kind of show us where Nehemiah does that in chapter one here. I'll put that back up on the screen in a second. And then my question is a follow-up to that is, why is that a better model for prayer than simply praying the thing I feel most strongly at any given time? Because there's often in my conversations with folks, when it comes to prayer or devotional life, there is this um, sense of guilt if it doesn't feel authentic, if it doesn't feel like I really want it, aren't I just going through the motions? And um, I think that that's, there's a misconception there. Um, And I want to take a look at it, at Nehemiah and this, this acts prayer model as an alternative to that. Yeah. So ACTS stands. So, and that's an acronym that Christians have used Adoration, A is for adoration, C is for confession, T is for thanksgiving, and S is for supplication or asking. 
And so we see it again in verse um, five, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So he's starting off like acknowledging who God is mm-hmm. and worshiping him. Who is the Lord? Mm-hmm. The Lord, again, means ruler, uh, ab- ruler, king of all things, whatever, king of a domain. Who's the, well, you're Lord, you're the God of heaven, the heaven and earth. You're the Lord, you're in charge of all things and you are great. You're, you're amazing. You're, your power, we can't compare. So, mm-hmm. and you're awesome. You're, and your covenant of love, you're good. So you see again, these twin pillars of God is um, powerful. Mm-hmm. Actually, let me give you three things. Powerful. He's all powerful. He's all wise. And he's good. Yeah. So you're going to see you, you know, in the Psalms, it says you, O Lord are strong and you are, are loving. Like mm-hmm. these ideas, like, God cares about you, you know, because what's the three things people want to know in prayer? Um, can God do it? Does God, does, you know, can God accomplish what's being asked? Does he know what's best? And does he care about me? Mm-hmm. And um, so you see power, wisdom, and love are a trifecta of realities of who God is. God only wise. So he, with the reason we have to start there is, um, um, because if we think we're the source, we automatically, everything, we, we're backwards to start. Where's right. the source of every good thing? Where's the source of your life? Oh, God, creator of heaven. You're the creator. You're, right. you're the one who made me. Um, I start with the source, and then I come down to me. So this is about, and who is God, and what is he about? And and if he is who he is, then I should adore him i should love him mm-hmm. i should worship him i'm can, worship is worth ship mm-hmm. i'm confessing his worth or value or beauty and that is right and respectful imagine your kid you got a little kid and the kids just like give me give me give me give me and right. you know trying to snatch you know the the the, the money from your hand how what are you going to do to your what are you going to say to your kid don't do that why, why not <laughs> I wanted it. I was authentic. Because it was selfish. Don't confuse authenticity for self-absorption and narcissism. Right. So it's bad for your kid. Right. Because your kid is living as though nobody else matters. And that is the spirit of destruction. Yeah. Because if nobody else matters or everybody's less than me or I don't see them, all I see is me. It allows me to abuse people, treat them disrespectfully, treat them right. It's You're not doing your kid a favor just because you didn't make them. Uh, uh, you're not doing them a favor when you let them act like that. Right. Because they should say, oh, dad, I'm, you know, you know, whatever. You can, right. can you please have this. Right. You're acknowledging your father. Your right. father has something you need or want. And now your father can give it to you. Right. And that's a sense of. Everybody wants to be seen and known and heard. And we don't, and you, and if you're watching this, you want to be seen by people and known and heard. You want to be appreciated. When we don't do that with God, we defile ourselves. Mm-hmm. You're hurting. You're not hurting. I mean, yeah, you can hurt, but you're hurting yourself. Right. So 
how do we see God, know him and hear him? Because we should be reflecting the things we know and need in our own soul. So this allows you to actually incarnate or be formed in a sort right. of, I see you, God, and I know you. Because you know, you're great and awesome and you make covenants of love. I, I know you. Right. And then the confession is, and I know me and I know where I fall short. Right. Yes. And I know where I make mistakes and miss the mark. And I right. am not under an impression that I am the standard for perfection. Exactly. Yeah. So you're anthropocentric or theos. I mean, you're, if you start with you, you're always going to be off one step. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're not being authentic, but right. authenticity is not the highest value. Right. Right. You're going to, he's going to be fully authentic here, but he's doing it in a way that's forming him into a healthy person. So right. as he speaks and is heard, um, he's doing it in a way that aligns him with the father, with his right. creator right. and making him better rather than worse. Right. Cause you can, you can be authentically selfish. You can yes. be authentically wrong. Totally. You can be authentically sinful. You can be authentically stupid. <laughs> Authenticity is not, uh, it's just an adjective. It's not the value you're trying to do it itself, but you can also be authentically godly. And that's what Nehemiah uh, is doing here. He's not sacrificing authenticity just because he has a structure to his right. prayer. And so prayer is about talking with God. But here's the thing. Anything, you, if I, you tell me one skill you know, and I'm going to tell you, you went through a number of, so let's say playing guitar, because you yep. play guitar, yep. you're a great guitar player. So, you know, when, but when you learned your first chord, you're, someone said, here, do it like this. Yeah. You didn't say, oh, I don't want to. I'm going to use my nose and my teeth. It's like, yeah. People that just doesn't feel authentic. That doesn't feel authentic. <laughs> <Fight> guitar. <laughs> yeah, nobody's gonna buy that album anyway. <laughs> uh, or you say, I learned how to uh play hockey, or yeah, someone put you through certain patterns, and here's the whole point. Anything GK Chesterton said this: anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. Right. And his point was mastery of anything always starts with. Uh, this sense of wobbliness and maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't feel natural. And that's something that feels natural. It should not be your standard for all things you do. Right. Right. I know people who killed people and said, I just felt like doing it. Yeah. Well, that's not a great right. uh, rationale. Uh, but let's say you can skate and you don't even think about it now. Well, you started out by learning forms. And so you can have forms that help you flourish so it's like a trellis. If you go to a vineyard, you're going to see that the vines don't lay on the ground for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because if they do, the grapes rot and they don't produce as much. Right. So they pull it up and they create a trellis, a structure, so the grapes can grow healthier right. and larger and, um, and, uh, and the vineyard's fruitful. Right. The um, same thing's true with prayer. It's kind of like a trellis. It creates some forms that right. allow you to be healthy and flourish in your full identity. Yeah. So yeah. So so we got to wrap up here, but right. let me let me just summarize. For, okay. What A is for adoration. Yep. C is for confession. So he yep. says, "I confess the sins we Israelite." So we should confess to God daily. In fact, if again I mentioned the Lord's prayer is a form of this. Yeah. So Jesus yep. said, "Give us this day our daily bread," and then he said, "Confess your sins." So we're asking for forgiveness, just like for bread every day. Right. Um, 
And then he recites the promises of God here. Um, but it's a form of thanksgiving too. So it, it, T is for thanksgiving. We're being grateful to God for everything we have. Mm-hmm. You have breath in your body today. Mm-hmm. You have a roof over your head. You're grateful to God. Right. Um, Philippians tells us that we should begin all our all requests with thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then he asks for what he wants or needs, and that's supplication. Yeah. So yeah. following that in an authentic way is a great way to be um, pray and again to remember who we are who god is and who we are and right 100% 100% and i would just encourage you if you're listening today um we talked about a lot of good meat today from just this small section of scripture but i would encourage your takeaway to be simply follow that acts prayer structure yeah. uh once a day just go to, lord this is what i love about you you're so good and here's why you're so good Lord, I confess, here's where I've missed the mark. Father, I'm so thankful for what you've given me. And then my needs and wants fall in the context of who you are, who I am, and what you've already given to me. And then I ask for what I want and need after that. And uh, I would just encourage you, if you're a listener here today joining us, um, I would challenge you even for the next week, just pray through that structure once a day and see what happens. See what changes. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us on Tell Me More. And thank you, Alex Senior, for all of your insight into um, just this really, really, really rich uh, scripture and what a great expansion on the sermon from this last weekend. Uh, again, if you're listening, we hope to see you this weekend, either online or in person. Uh, as Josh Merriweather talks about week three of the second act, Facing the Ruins. We will see you next week.